Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. It's me, Cindy Howes. I host this podcast. Thanks for finding us. If you would like to stay in touch, there are a couple of ways to do it. You can sign up for our newsletter. Go to basicfolk.com and look for the red newsletter sign-up link. You can also find a link in the show notes. You can follow us on social media. We are currently active on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Folk Pod. If you've been listening for a while, you might know that we are a listener-supported operation here. You can make a contribution at our website. You can give $5 a month, sign up and get a Basic Folk beanie that is handmade by my mom, Pat House, and you can do that at our shop that you can find the link at basicfolk.com. Okay, today is another edition of Folk Debate Club, and today we are talking about performance versus authenticity. I was pretty sure that this conversation was going to go in one direction, and it went in every single direction that it could have. Honestly, we could have gone on for like three hours. I think that we, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a part two of this conversation, I'm excited to get into it and excited to hear what you think. If you have any feedback, you can uh, get in touch with us on social media or email right at our website, basicfolk.com. Let's get into it. Okay, here we go. Folk Debate Club with performance versus authenticity. Four. Wow. That was a really good clap. You know why that is? I feel that it's the Say influence it. of Americana Awards nominee, best instrumentalist, Issa Burke. Shut up. No Absolutely one, shut no up. No one can clap on four like an award-nominated instrumentalist. What can I say? Agreed. Yeah, awards are a really important way for people to be honored, so I know how much <laughs> you care about these things, and I'm... I think it's good that you're crawling it from the rooftop season. Um, yeah, cool. Well, hopefully we, <laughs> hopefully uh, we needn't speak of this much more. But you know, feel free to feel free to roast me as much as you desire because it will, it will help keep my head at its current normal size. And with that, we're off to a great start here at Folk Debate Club. <laughs> Welcome once again to Basic Folk and Why We Write's occasional series folk debate club kim rule host of why we write is here hi kim hello happy to be here lizzie no singer songwriter queen of my heart and co-host of basic folk hi lizzie hi cindy we also have 
friend of the podcast, Issa Burke, guitarist for Eva O'Donovan, Lula Wiles, other things. Hi, Issa. Thanks for coming back. Hello. And we have a representative of the male contingency here today. Very happy and excited to welcome Willie Carlisle to Folk Debate Club. Thanks for coming here, Willie. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I have a little intro here that I've written. Go for it, Cindy. I hope you like it, Kim, especially. I can't wait to hear it. In music and life, there is debate over authenticity versus performative. On stage, in written music, online, and in person, what is the artist going for? Realness or entertainment? It doesn't seem that simple. There are a lot of examples of artists who do both very well, and I think the best art is created at the intersection of these two elements. And there's no question that it's hard to pull off. So today, we want to try and break down what each of these elements is in music, how to achieve each, and what is more important, to perform a personality or just be your genuine self. So I was wondering if we can first define what performance means, and can we put into words what an authentic act is and what a performative act is? I actually wanted Willie to start. Yeah, so... Uh, what's a performance, right? Believe it or not, I actually have an old folklorist with a definition, and I have it literally pulled up right here. So I hope this isn't cheating. But uh, this guy Bauman, and this is from a, a dissertation on the performance styles of, of, a, of a couple folk singers. Performance consists of the assumption of responsibility to an audience for a display of communicative competence, wherein a performer is accountable for his competence regardless of its referential content, and a performance is marked as available for the enhancement of an experience through the present enjoyment or the intrinsic qualities of the act of expression itself. (laughs) Wow. I feel like that's a shady definition because it implies very didactic. It, it's like yeah. it it's a performance if you're good at your job. <laughs> the assumption right. of competence is a reach in today's music industry. <laughs> and and that's not a hot take for sure. Um uh yeah. <laughs> I kind of liked it because it was kind of it's like it's like it's like an old definition, right? And I don't necessarily especially because so much is performance now, right? Um we live in a period of time where the self is like a, a marketed thing, right? Um, where the creation of a of a personality is um, part of how you exist in inside of a digital space that's only performance. Um, and this is how we get to know so many people, um, how we get to like find our people. I put that in big air quotes, find our people. Um, I actually kind of think that, yeah, the, that you're, I'm with you. The assumption of competence, it's like, no, everybody's just kind of trying whether or not it's good. I like the idea that a performance implies a responsibility from the performer to the audience. Like, first of all, Mm -hmm. a performance, like in my definition, I think a performance is anything that a person does where they are assuming an audience. So it can actually be like most, like many things that we do can be a performance. But I like the idea that there's like a responsibility, like you're supposed to be communicating something worthwhile or entertaining or like whatever that might be, like you need to value people's time 
in any mm. performance. And their I think that's a really interesting, yeah, that's a really interesting, like, pillar of performance. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of competence, not in terms of, like, like, technical virtuosity or anything like that, but, like, competence in terms of communication mm. and in terms of respecting, as you're saying, the audience's time and respecting the fact that they're putting their attention on you and you need to return some kind of energy to them. Mm. And, I mean, I think <laughs> I think about this with, like, karaoke a lot, that, like, I think being good at singing and being good at karaoke are not the same thing. And, like, that, the kind of competence of someone who is a bad singer but is great at karaoke, like, that's, I think, the kind of competence that, like, is reasonable to expect of a performer that's just, like, can you, can you communicate something that is worthy of being paid attention to? It doesn't have to. It can be, that can be any of a billion things. Mm. Is karaoke even a performance? I struggle with karaoke because <laughs> I never know what to do. Mm. And I never really do a good job. Like, Mm. I, like, sing in front of people for my job. And I really cannot get, like, a good reaction at karaoke. Because I don't know, I don't think I understand the rules. And I don't think I get what it takes to be good at it. And I'm not even sure that it's a performance. Like, it's almost, there's almost, like, a shame in, like, assuming that people see you at karaoke. Like, it. Do, do you ever feel that way that like it's yeah. emba- it, there's like an embarrassment in doing karaoke that I don't feel in getting on stage? Like what's the deal? It's like a different kind of vulnerability, I think. Yeah. I think it's different for somebody who is a professional singer than it is for like you know, Joellen in mm-hmm. Tucson who goes out to the karaoke bar because it's her opportunity to shine. Um, She's not a great Mm -hmm. singer, but her heart is in it. And she's there to do Love Story by Taylor Swift, because I have to get Taylor Swift into every conversation. conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, and she feels it. And and like for her as a performance and her friends see a different side of her. You know, it's like a whole different show. Yeah. Whereas when Lizzie Noe is up there singing Lizzie Noe's songs, we are seeing who Lizzie No really is. And right. maybe it's not really you if you're going to sing Love Story by Taylor Swift at karaoke. That's not authentically Lizzie. I think that's true because also Lizzie No is always performing. Like, that's my stage name. That person wouldn't come to a party with my friends. Mm-hmm. That's like Lizzie. Like Lizzie, government name redacted, can't perform and is only authentic. But Lizzie No, like, goes on the road. I feel similarly about weddings, and I I wonder what you guys think about this, especially Cindy, since you recently got married. How did it feel to be sort of, quote unquote, performing a ritual Mm. in front of people that know you well? I feel like weddings are always a really interesting mix of authenticity and performativity because you are doing these like ritualistic, very public, heavily photographed acts And you're often reading from a script and the costumes matter, but it's also like a very deeply intimate moment. I wonder Mm -hmm. where you fall on that as far as weddings go. Uh, Well, my, my brother actually just showed us our wedding video. So we've been watching it. We kept our vows like very traditional. Mm -hmm. There were like a couple of times where I was like very, very emotional, just like saying 
those vows of of like the script, you know? Mm-hmm. So it did feel very authentic. And the times where I can tell that I'm getting very uncomfortable, I sort of like start cracking up and do kind of like jazz hands type mm-hmm. of things. And that is like part of my personality to to be kind of silly, but it's like also um what are those things called where you defense uh, mechanism. Yeah, coping There you mechanism. go. It's my defense mechanism. It's one of mine too. <laughs> okay, well, I was a guest aka in the audience at your wedding, and I found it to be like one of the only weddings I've been to that I actually like would have like like I would watch your wedding video. And I think it's because most of the people that were involved, I mean also like I love you and Elizabeth. I felt like most of the people involved acknowledged and celebrated that it was a performance because it was people, mm. it was radio people, music people. I feel uncomfortable. Basketball players, ballers, yes. also the performance. Ballers. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it's like, what, I think people feel uncomfortable when a performance is happening and it's not acknowledged. Like if you think yeah. something's just being authentic, but then it turns out to be performative, like we feel violated or the other way around. Like or if nervous. you go to a show and it's like the, the performer is way too casual and like, you know, doesn't bring a level of polish that you wanted. Like there are moments where we feel like, hey, wait a minute. I thought this was one thing and it's really the other thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought your wedding was a really beautiful combination of the two because it was people who are aware of performance and aware of like communication as an art, like bringing mm-hmm. that to a very emotional, authentic event. Yeah, that's cool. I feel like one thing that I have been kind of wanting to like drill down on a little bit is like the idea of performance versus performativity. I feel like we're kind of using those words interchangeably, but I think like performative or performativity is like such a culturally loaded word right like we talk a lot about performative allyship as like a very obviously negative thing Mm -hmm. and i think part of what that is is like what lizzie was just pointing to that like what makes something performative is a performance that's pretending it isn't a performance for the listeners at home lizzie is frantically gesturing right now. i'm pointing and gesturing (laughs) um because i'm as a, a growing radio professional, I'm learning not to talk over people like I normally do. Um, that, uh, what is that, what is that called? Or overlapping, where, like, loving overlapping that, like, black people do and Jewish people do, mm-hmm. where we're, like, we're all contributing. Italian Americans do. <laughs> it doesn't always work on, on in a radio setting. Anyways, yeah. um, I feel like performative allyship is a really good example because there's, like, verses in the Bible about this, about how the Pharisees would, like, go out and pray in front of everybody and how that is like a violation of what prayer is for. Like, I think if something's Mm. supposed to be an act of service or like a spiritual act, it's wrong to invite an audience. And I think that's like, there's so many examples of this nowadays where like social media has, has really blurred the lines between like what is really meant to be private and like what is helpful to share. Like I feel uncomfortable when people share like their weight loss journey because I'm like, yeah. that is something like that's that can be really important to somebody. However, it really feels like violating when it's presented as like an accomplishment in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what, what there are like so many examples of that, that that I'm not like remembering right now. Or I feel like things like moments in people's lives that are filmed and posted without like 
without the consent or involvement of the people involved or like without any acknowledgement of whether or not the people knew they were being filmed or were cool with being filmed. I feel like that's something that is like so icky and weird to me and has, I think, contributed a lot to like just this idea that like everything we do at any point in the day could become content and therefore could become a performance. Yeah, I think it like impinges on our freedom Mm -hmm. because like people talk about, I haven't been to a club in a long time, but people talk about how like going out dancing isn't as fun as it used to be because you can be filmed at any moment and like the carefree, spontaneous, like just like in your body, not aware of the audience vibe that you want to feel at the club is like kind of a thing of the past now that people have smartphones everywhere. Yeah, and your weird dance moves could go viral on TikTok at any moment. <laughs> right, that's not what <laughs> it's for. And we hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me recently uh, where um, a fan saw me after a show, like two-stepping at a uh, at a honky-tonk club and uh, filmed me just two-stepping with a friend. And we are not two-stepping well. Like, you know, there's people I've two-stepped well with. But I keep thinking about, uh, as we're talking about, like that, that word consent comes up, right? Um, And one of the things that is tough about that, right, is that um, there's no context for, a performance has context. And one of the things that we're saying is that a performance is stable, right? It's not, it's not, uh, it has context, it's the same all the time. But a person, and also like a live place, which is to say like a place without performances, a place where like, like say a club where is there dancing? We're all kind of deciding together if we're dancing. Are we all listening to this one person? We're all kind of deciding. It's like a, it's not like a $10 ticket, right? It's actually unstable on purpose, right? Social media doesn't quite have that same like kind of context creation. It just like super zooms to whatever is really sticky or, you know, whatever people want to look at at the most. And and I think that's, that's maybe to me, the hardest part is that context gets, um, context is dismantled. And that means that a lot of things seem performative. And then, um, and then questions of consent, do I even want to see this? We have to navigate constantly as we kind of like, curate our own um, existence through this screed. I would like to talk about like what resonates with people. When I think about like people who do performance and authenticity very well, I think of like David Bowie, Father John Misty, Tori Amos, Prince. But does it matter if it's like performance or authenticity, if it's resonating with people like I remember being in high school watching Tori Amos bootlegs and she's, I think maybe just had like a miscarriage. So she's on like all sorts of, you know, antipsychotic medications and who knows what. And she's just like screaming like a demon into the microphone. And I'm like, this is it for me, you know, but like, I don't know, like if my dad watched that, he would not be into it. Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, there's like, there's obviously going to be a huge caveat to everything that we say today, which is that, you know, taste is obviously subjective and what comes across as really authentic to one person might read as like really cheap and performative to another person. And I think that at least for me, a lot of the people like I was totally, I was definitely going to bring up David Bowie at some point in this conversation because yeah, he's like one of the first people I think of in terms of 
someone who really leans into performance as an art form and is not really concerned with coming off as authentic. Um, but I think that probably for for Bowie, like creating all of these characters and costumes and different personas was the most authentic form of expression for him to get across Mm -hmm. his ideas right and i think of other you know other people like all the all the ones that you've mentioned um for a lot of people just like standing on a stage in clothes that are very similar to clothes that they would wear in their everyday life and talking in not very uh thinly veiled language or singing about things that have happened to them in their life is just like not a mode of expression that works for them at all. That wouldn't feel authentic. I think that's a really good point. And often like, I think unfortunately, the closer you feel in your soul to broadly accepted gender norms, like the easier it's gonna be for you to appear authentic. Because Mm, I feel like, Like, the thing about Bowie is, like, probably in his mind, he was changing so much and, like, uh, over a lifetime. And most people, especially creative people, are constantly changing. And, like, if they were to be honest about, like, who am I and what am I and where am I at right now, like, it wouldn't be on brand. You know, like, some days I feel like I'm just, like, a fish on land. Like, some days I feel like I'm a mist, like and that can <laughs> that will seem performative if i share it with people who expect me to be like a normal human woman i guess the point is just like internally we are all these like mystical seas of constant change but like society makes us like be this one thing wear these pants wear this button up shirt and so people who are comfortable in a button up shirt and pants they kind of win the authenticity lottery because like they can be their real self without having to like put on a mask of normalness to fit in. Mm. Yeah. I found this, like, I feel like this came up for me a lot um, during that. um, I don't remember what year it was. must've been 2016 when the front runners for album of the year at the grand Grammys were Adele with what was it? 21 or 25, 25 and Beyonce had lemonade And I feel like a lot of the conversations around what people preferred at that time had to do with like, it's easier to see a white woman standing still on stage singing into a microphone as authentic than it is to see a black woman dancing in millions of different costumes. Like it seems more futuristic and different, but like probably for Beyonce, that was her most authentic album. And I felt like there was, there's like this bias towards like, you know, kind of heady, standing still, not as embodied. Like mm-hmm. Adele is, is a wonderful artist and so deserving. But like, I, I feel in that conversation, there was like a bias. Right. Is any of this making sense? It's mm-hmm. making huge amounts of sense. And I think you're kind of getting at something that I, I wanted to talk about, which is I think there's like, there's this bias that exists in a lot of places, but I think it's especially potent in the folk world. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if we were to you know, go to a lot of folkies and say, you know, we're having this conversation about authenticity and performance. To them, the word authenticity would be inherently good and the word Mm -hmm. performance would have kind of a Mm. negative connotation to it, which I think is nonsense. 
I connect so much more with Beyonce as an artist than with Adele as an artist, not necessarily because I think Beyonce is objectively better. She's not. Maybe she is. Like, they're both great artists. But they, yeah, it's they're just both like a great. different way of being in the world and being totally. on stage. And I really, I think I really connect with artists like Beyonce or David Bowie, who mm-hmm. are, like, larger than life. I'm like, give me a show. <laughs> like, I want yeah. a show. <laughs> yeah, I think it also connects to, like, what's going on now. Not to just, like, talk about every hot-button political issue, but I think if we really drill down on why a lot of people are uncomfortable with drag, I mean, mm. a lot of it is just homophobia and hatefulness. But some of it is that sense of, like, straight people don't like the idea that they're being tricked. And <laughs> the idea of, like, illusions and makeup and performance and glitter and, like, look over here, look over there, it's all larger than life, is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I wonder why. Mm-hmm. I think it's, like, so delightful and a way of, like, expressing a deeper self and, like, connecting to your inner child sometimes. But I think for a lot of people, it feels really uncomfortable. And I wonder why that is. Would the straight people like to respond? <laughs> Are there any straight people? Do we have any straight people, people on this? <laughs> Just have to, we have to find one to call in. Uh, yeah. Anybody know anyone? We'll have to find a straight person to represent next time. Yeah. <sighs> Representation is so, so important. <laughs> the half of me that, or maybe, I don't know, how whatever percentage in the moving, whatever, I'm a fish today, uh, or perhaps a mist. Um, <laughs> there's like uh, structures of power inside of the codes of clothing and in gendered performance that people don't want to totally destabilize. I think about this um, quite a bit when I'm actually getting ready to perform or thinking about like what I'm going to wear is I want to be able to code switch into a place where I can make people that I love feel very comfortable that I'm engaging with uh, systems of respectability that they want. But I also want to uh, uh, mess with that as much as possible too. And so it becomes like, um, you know, trying to do something that's somewhat subtle when that stuff gets threatened um, everyday people that haven't had the opportunity to have that kind of play can be can be disturbed. Um, like the actually like a an, an obsession with the sexuality of that kind of thing, I think is kind of it's also kind of funny um, because uh, uh, of course uh, like playing around with this sort of thing is sexual, but I think that people have such a bad distinction. Um, between uh, questions of gender and questions of sex, by which I don't mean biological, uh, but like uh, if you'll, that, I don't know how you do it. Um, uh, um, that sort Pounding. of thing. <laughs> um, but uh, I did that without thinking about it. <laughs> the punching of it all. Uh, yeah. that, um, the question becomes so, uh, those two things are so interrelated, right? Um, and play being at the center of that is is scary because you don't want to enter some kind of liminal state where things are are um, where anything could be anything for for a moment because it it destabilizes the power structure that you've taken the most advantage from. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I'm in church. That was a really succinct way of like 
putting, I think, that anxiety, like when things are malleable, it's like really, it's like, what's that, that Herman Hesse book, Steppenwolf, I'm obsessed, when they like go down into the magic theater, Mm -hmm. and you have to acknowledge that everybody's wearing a mask all the time. It's just like, which one you choose to have in the, you know, big, broader world. Mm. Um, That's that can be really destabilizing. I think it's also why like a lot of a lot of men are like, I prefer a woman that doesn't wear makeup. But usually there's like quite a bit of makeup that goes into that natural look that people say they like. It's like this acknowledgement that like a lot of things are performance and a lot of things are quote unquote artificial that we like to pretend are natural. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. That obsession with like natural things being predictable and stable and clear cut Mm -hmm. um, can make it really hard to like be open to someone who has like a different performance of gender or sexuality or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. As a music listener, it is totally your right to prefer like a plain spoken folk singer, like who isn't wearing crazy costumes and isn't inventing a bunch of new characters. Like if that's, if that's what you're more into then that is totally fine, but you have to acknowledge that, like, that isn't better or more authentic than yes. than someone who chooses these more malleable, more, like, openly using artifice, mm-hmm. um, using these other forms of expression. Um, because the, the plain-spoken singer-songwriter is also putting on a show, and you also don't know what that person is actually like in their day-to-day life, and you actually don't know if any of the things they're singing about actually happen to them or not. Yes. <laughs> um, mm. There can be just as much artifice in that as in a drag show. I wanted yeah. to um, talk about progress when it comes to musical styles, how music is shaped and sound. So when I think of performance or authenticity when it comes to progress, I think performance means progress. Performance performance means evolution. But that's not always true. And I wanted to hear what y'all thought about progress in terms of like how authenticity means progress and how performance might mean progress. I think that maybe a broader understanding of what authenticity can be might mean progress. I think that, um, you know, allowing queer people to sing and talk about queerness, allowing people of color to sing and talk about their experience of their, their race, you know, allowing those kinds of authenticity, I think, not... Allowing is maybe the wrong word to use, like uh, embracing, embracing and celebrating. Yeah, those those forms of authenticity, because, of course, they are they're allowed by being, you know, an inherent human right of everyone. (laughs) That can be that can be a version of progress. I don't know. That's my first reaction. Does anyone else have thoughts? Cindy, do you mean more like progress in our broader, like maturity as a culture and as a humanity or do you mean the progress that like an individual artist can go Mm. through over their career i meant broader velvet underground is a great Mm -hmm. example of a band that was not very commercially successful but has impacted so much of the rock and roll that we listen to today that's kind of like what i was thinking but what you're saying is also interesting Mm. Um, 
I think I would worry that uh, like a sense of like a um, uh, like either a righteous march of progress into everybody being better or like a uh, like a progression where things that are that have merit affect other things that have merit. So we have more merit now is like a is is maybe like a a way that I couldn't really look at it. I think I, it's sort of like, well, this is music, too. Is we might as well all as well be beating on sticks and uh, and <laughs> and howling, and that would wouldn't that be fun? Instead, uh, we do this the way that we have accumulated it um, because this is the way we were able to learn it. It feels it, it feels authentic to me to have it that kind of flat like all this stuff is kind of like Isa was saying. This is not necessarily better because it's one thing or another, or even necessarily more progress oriented the idea of progress feels hard or maybe even uh, to use the word problematic how does one thing get to another is uh like a question of uh like like uh, capital and influence which is so um messily infected by systems that don't have like either any kind of meritocracy attached to it or really like questions of authenticity or performance because it's just about like, um, yeah, money, money and influence is how what we think of as progress happens, I guess what I'm thinking. Hmm. Something I think about on this question, I was thinking about the Indigo Girls where as, we as were. As usual. As usual. Taylor and the Indigos. Um, listening to like Strange Fire that whole first record now, like, they are, like, super authentic human beings. They're performers and entertainers, obviously, but, like, they, I believe that they are themselves on stage. They were singing about queer things well before anyone else was getting paid and getting big audiences to sing about queer things. And the way that they rocked so many people's worlds in the 80s and 90s, um, so many queer women especially, but everyone <laughs> who was paying attention to them was so rocked by what they were doing, not just by virtue of the fact that they were openly queer, but but like what they were doing with harmony and counterpoint and like two voices and two guitars thematically, the you know, the way they were working social justice into love songs where there was some like overtly political songs, some that were like more nuanced, I think has, I think their career is one where you can really chart the progress of, of their fan base, because now there are people making a living as professional musicians who are extremely influenced by what they were doing in the eighties and nineties um, and continue to do. I mean, they continue to write great songs in my life. Like, Indigo Girls and maybe Madonna, although Madonna is kind of, she peaked a long time ago. Bless her heart. Huge fan. But, you know, she's not, what she's doing now is not as relevant to me as, as the ongoing relevance of the Indigo Girls. But that's progress that we can see through performance and authentic performance, which I still believe is an oxymoron of a phrase, but it seems to fit with them. More on the oxymoron, Kim. More on the oxymoron is my stage name for my <laughs> counterpoint harmony band that I make with myself. It's your drag name. Your drag name. <laughs> oxymoron would be a really good drag name. 
Yeah. Roxy moron. Roxy moron. Or what about Foxy moron? Foxy moron. Roxy and Foxy moron. The moron sisters. Twins. The moron sisters. Okay. It's out there. Nobody nobody take it. Yeah. Issa and I are taking it for our drag band. Yeah. The Indigo Girls is a really interesting example of the, that mix of like authenticity in performance because it's it's sort of like they were authentic in ways that many people in the world weren't ready for or mm-hmm. people didn't know they were ready for and like they kind of like they put their worldview out there and their way of being in a band together out there and then, you know, decades later, people are still catching up. I think sometimes, like, authenticity is, is like, before its time, and it makes people uncomfortable. They're fascinating because I think there were people who were uncomfortable with them. But I think about, like, my super conservative sister was also way into the Indigo Girls. You yeah. Know, like, like, people weren't too uncomfortable with them. Like, something about their niceness came yeah, it was through. was really inviting. Yeah. Mm. I know that they got some crap. I don't know what I'm allowed to say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but I, but it wasn't, you know, the, the shit that they were getting was not a big enough shit to, like, block, you know, thousands and thousands of people from coming to see them. Yeah, you're and, right. You know, pre-Lilith Fair. Indigo Girls is also a good example of a band that has, like, remained pretty authentic. What do you all think about people who start their careers as like authentic artists that are like, um, what were they called? Women in the nineties, they would be like diary songwriters. Oh yeah. Um, Confessional. Confessional. Confessional songwriters. Yeah. But eventually some of them like turned pretty performative, like does authenticity. If you don't cultivate it correctly, eventually turn performative. I don't know what it's like. I'm sure it's different in each person's life. And there are forces of of capital that like, cause that to happen. I feel as a performer that there are different phases of life. And there, there, like, I feel like there were there were times where it was really important to me to be very transparent on stage, and and share biographical information. And like, if I was having a bad day, like have that bad day in front of people on stage. That's where you get, I feel like, those those Tori Amos amazing breakthrough moments. But it's also a really vulnerable and difficult place to be. And it and you can stagnate if you stay there. So sometimes it's like a, an interesting challenge to see what a little bit of artifice can do to your creativity. Like, put some limitations on your work, write about a topic, write about somebody else, put on a costume, like, see what parts of yourself that type of like restriction sets free in a counterintuitive way Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah i mean think about lady gaga who was like rolling her keyboard to the sidewalk cafe Mm -hmm. back in the day wow i mean where she went with that is just extraordinary and i think i love the sidewalk that's the first place i played in new york Nice. Um, <laughs> That's a venue. It's not the actual sidewalk. Oh no, no, no! You like oh, you yeah, have to wait. Anymore. It's this great open mic, and you have to wait like all night to get on the list, and it's so crowded. But you got to do it. 
It's a rite of passage. But just to think of, like, I picture Lady Gaga doing that, like, getting past Latch, you know, like, back yeah. in the day. <laughs> and and just feeling like she couldn't connect. Like, she, there was something about her identity as an artist that was not working. Fast forward to Bad Romance. Mm. And, it, like, there's nothing more that connected more than that album, right. you know? Yeah. I think it's because there she often expresses a self that many that is truly authentic to her and to a lot of other people, especially queer people, that we don't always feel we have permission to share. It's like that it's like that Catholic thing where like in the Middle Ages, like everyone was like so repressed and then they would bring the carnival into town or like the Lady Gaga meat dress and it was like so in your face and so like expansive and indulgent that you gave yourself permission to be the part, the self that didn't, you know, show up to work on Monday morning. Yeah. But she like struck a, I mean, my mother had a moment when Lady Gaga did the Super Bowl where she was like, she's really got it. You know, (laughs) it wasn't (laughs) offensive. She's able to fully step into the fantasy Mm -hmm. and the imagination without, having to um, step into the artifice. And -hmm. I think that that's, Beyonce does that as well. Ahead of time, uh, Lizzie and Kim and I were talking about different um, topics to tackle. And one of the things that she brought up was truth. When does truth matter in art? Great question. (laughs) Agreed. When does truth not matter in art? When is it okay to pour your heart and soul into a piece of work and energy and money and awake time into a piece of work. That's total bullshit. Maybe all, maybe like a lot of the time, like, (laughs) which is to say, uh, well, so there's, I guess there's two parts there, right? Is that one, it's really important to do dumb, dumb shit. Um, uh, which I think is part of like uh, part of self discovery or authenticity yeah. is right. Let's just try on fifteen different hats and maybe I'm not going to wear them out, but like I'm going to style all these hats, right? Um, but uh, also like I'm down. I'm in Nashville right now, and um, I've done several co writes down here, and uh, some of them have been on Music Row, going into the belly of the beast, and uh, it is. Absolutely fascinating what some of these guys will do um, to get out something that is going to be closer to to a hit. And but is it not truth if uh, if several million people connect with it just because it happens Bingo. to be about trucks? Um, and it doesn't. And in that moment, are they being true? Absolutely not. Are they doing something that they know millions of people could resonate with and banking on that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think truth also has to do with like time and place because is it just because it didn't happen to you doesn't mean it didn't happen to someone. And like, I don't know about Mm. you guys, but often like my own songs were true at the time and I'm performing them years later and they no longer feel true or the other way around. Like I wrote Mm -hmm. up, I wrote a little story from my you know, imagination. And then years later, as I'm sharing it on stage, it feels really in line with what I'm going through at the time. Like often, like well-crafted fictions 
are, are pretty close to the truth for someone else, or maybe you at a later time. That's where competence comes in. Like if, if there's yeah. craft, it mm. probably re- resonates somewhere with truth. That's a little rule I just made up. Well, yeah, it's like there's there's Let's get tattoos. There's, <laughs> well, there's multiple kinds of truth, right? Like there's the truth of like what literally happened, mm-hmm. and then there's like the truth of what human existence is like. Yes, and you can get at the truth of what human existence is like, whether the thing you're describing actually happened or not. Have any? I feel like I've brought maybe I brought this up in our last folk debate club. I don't know if I did, but have any of you read the things they carried? Yes. By Tim O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that Tim O'Brien. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a great book. Everyone should read it. There's a, a section in that book called how to tell a true war story. Mm. And it's this, he talks about like, if you tell a story that's like, okay, so these four guys are walking along the path one of them sees a grenade, he throws himself on the grenade, and he dies to save his three buddies. That's only a true war story if it actually happened. Mm-hmm. But if you tell the story as, and I might be I might be butchering this, but I'm pretty sure this is how it goes. We can look <laughs> it up. You, yeah, it's true. I think I might have a copy of it in my house. Anyway, if you tell the story as, four guys are walking along a path, one of them sees a grenade, he throws himself on the grenade, but it doesn't matter, they all die. That's a true war story, whether it happened or not, because that's what war is like. Hmm. And I read that in high school, and it blew my mind, and I think about it with regard to songwriting all the time. Because I think that that is a lot of, I think, what I, what I, when I'm writing songs, which I don't do very much of these days, but like, historically, when I've written songs... I, I'm not thinking so much about what literally happened mm. as I am about like what makes happens. a compelling story that makes yeah, me what feel happens. something. Yeah, what happens? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think I. This makes me think about Toni Morrison, the most important American writer. Just want to be on record saying that. And when she talked about writing Beloved, like that story is based on a news article that I think she found in an archive. I don't totally know the story, but it was about this woman who had like, who had killed her child. And she said, I knew the facts, but I didn't know the truth. And how like, the truth encompasses, it has context, like Willie was talking about, like, just reading that news story, like you're going to draw some conclusions, but you need actually a lot of history, and some spiritual digging to get to what it must have felt like for her, why that would happen, why people would react the way that they did, um, and where that fits into a bigger collective story about who we are um, as a country. Like, that's the truth. The truth is huge. And it's, it's not subjective necessarily, but it's like emotive and it's multi-layered and textured in a way that facts can't get to. There's no such thing as a true story because reality is subjective. And I say this as a writing a memoir now, but I also Mm. say it as a reporter, because as a reporter, like you're going based on the information that you have, which was reported by other reporters who are going on information they had. And like, yeah, I mean, it's everything is connected. Everything's way bigger than we could possibly capture in a story or a performance. 
which is why I believe that like once you get onto a platform and walk to a device that makes your voice the loudest voice in the room, there's nothing authentic that's going to happen. You are not yourself. You are delivering a beginning, middle and end for people whose lives do not contain these neat containers and have paid money to to step out of their authentic lives and be entertained. And, you know, you can, like, they want the truth, but the facts don't matter. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in this conversation, right, in my mind, we haven't yet mentioned a folk artist, except for maybe Toni Morrison. And that weirds me out because in the what you just said, Kim, is like, oh, oh there's been a lot in this conversation that was like, uh, and I kept being like, whoa, because uh, of calling performers like Beyonce or Lady Gaga or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not, I really don't, I know for so little, I mean, I'm, I'm deep in my bubble. So, um, and, uh, and invested in my costume. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's, we've spent a lot of time calling those folks authentic or a certain gesture that they made. Oh, this was the most authentic gesture they made. But Kim, what you just said, that that's kind of where I start with it is that it ends at that moment. And, and a folklorist gave this to me. It's been really useful. They said um, that uh, uh, folk art is self-evident and not self-conscious, which Mm -hmm. is to say that folk art brings its own context with it and doesn't adjust to the content of an expectation of an audience that expects to be like entertained or something. There's some, some issues, there's some, you know, some, some tough stuff about that too. The first time I ever went to like a big fiddle gathering, everybody was crazy about this old guy and uh, who played the fiddle in a way that would make most cats leave the room and uh, uh, was only of interest. You could count the number of people with uh, master's degrees in ethnomusicology following this guy around was more than the people that would listen to him on an average Saturday night playing music, right? I guess that 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 dissonance of between those two things has worries me greatly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think about Woody Guthrie, like Woody Guthrie the folk singer of America, TM. Um, (laughs) TM, TM, TM. Was a, uh, was such an entertainer. You know, like he was a super sophisticated dude hanging out with Martha Graham dancers at his, you know, New York pad. But he knew that people were willing to listen to the Okie from Muskogee say things that they wouldn't listen to the sophisticated New Yorker say. I've heard so many folk singers through the years talk about authenticity with Woody as a benchmark, which is not what you were saying. This is totally separate from what uh-huh, you were saying. Sure. Um, but, you know, I to me it holds up that, like, it's all about the performance and the costume and, like, understanding. Like, you can – he was authentically Oklahoman. He, you know, like, he legit left because of the dust storms. Like, he – like, that's the real story. And um, he was a he was a very gifted entertainer. And, you know, to me, that says so much about what we have called folk music in the popular like lexicon in terms of like music critics and radio people for especially since like the 1930s and 40s, 
the rise of Woody and Pete and the Weavers, what has constituted American folk music. And I also recognize like the the extent to which that separated from the dudes who were s- still in Oklahoma, still picking the banjo and sawing the fiddle as that like folk boom took off. Yeah. And to me, those folks on the porch and the backyard and the church and the dance hall are the authentic folk performers and everyone else is an entertainer. Yeah, I mean, I think there is an argument to be made and like I, I, I at least am saying this in like a fully value neutral way, but I think there is an argument to be made that for a lot of folk music, performing it at all is like ripping it from its context and presenting it in a way mm. other than its original purpose doesn't need to be its only purpose or its ultimate purpose, but its original purpose, which was as social music, not music where there's a performer and an audience and a clear boundary between those things but music that is meant to be mainly experienced by the people playing it and maybe the people around them at the party or the people dancing to it who are also participating in the creating of the musical experience. A lot of where folk music comes from is like music that was not originally intended to be performed at all. Mm -hmm. In the age of like Coen Brothers movies making a huge difference as to whether or not you can make a living being entertaining (laughs) at this sort of thing. It's like we're, we exist at an unimaginable scale, right? Where the social gatherings uh, that would have created such music, at least in the United States are fewer and fewer. Right. But the, uh, but the opportunities for public performance where millions of people see you, which is, I think, I think honestly inhuman, are more than ever and are increasingly like apolitical, which is to say, um, yeah, I, at least I can say if we, if we put, if we put some of the onus on the, the Seegers of the world, um, for, uh, creating a market to sit in front of people and make money to say, oh, this is an old Siberian ballad that I learned from a college student <laughs> in, uh, Vanderbilt University. Uh, then at least he was doing it for rooms of 30 or 40 interested parties, 100, 200 people. And at a certain point, it get from about 500. And this is, and I guess now my own ideas about performance is that at 500 to 1,000 people, if it's if it ain't kumbaya and everybody needs to get along and love your neighbor and so on, well, then um, it may be a lot more self-involved than uh, needs to exist. Um, hmm. So I guess I, I would locate personally, I guess, then authenticity, I'm just coming to this now, as something that is on a human scale. Mm. And a lot of this stuff is on an inhuman scale. Yeah. 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 Very that. Uh, very that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have been considering for some time uttering the name Gillian Welch. <gasps> oh. Uh, and I'll, I'll say first that I am a hardcore Gillian Welch stan. I mean, anyone who's ever heard me do anything probably can tell that I have been bowing at the the altar of Gil and Dave mm-hmm. for a long time. But like, she was born in New York and she grew up in LA and she sings in a way that is generally associated with not those places. And the subject matter of her songs is very much associated with not those places. 
she is someone who, to me, really kind of complicates the question of authenticity and performance because I don't think she's ever claimed to be anything that she isn't. Mm-hmm. She and she very like she talks a lot about writing fiction. She thinks of herself. I think not to speak for her, but I've heard her say, read her saying things that she kind of likens what she does to like a short story writer. But at the same time, I think that she is, she does sort of present an aesthetic that is often associated with like a certain kind of authenticity by the folk audience. Like, I think there probably are some people who are listening to this right now and they're like, what the fuck? Gillian Welch is from LA. I assumed she was from a fucking porch in Tennessee. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. Gillian Welch, question mark? (laughs) Thoughts? Well, yeah, I feel like that she's such a strong (laughs) argument for the importance of performativity. Mm -hmm. Even though we, it's like a derogatory term a lot of the time. Because she is like sharing sort of historical fictions that are so true for a lot of people. And she hits on themes that are true for a lot of people Mm -hmm. still. And it's still like some of the best music you can Mm -hmm. put on in your car while you're driving through Kansas. Like, it fits even though it comes from a place of imagination. Mm -hmm. And maybe everybody dies from the grenade in those songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Totally. I mean, I'm curious, and I don't want to put you on the spot, Willie, but I am curious to hear your thoughts about, like, the prevalence of, like, rural Southern aesthetics in folk music and country music and the sort of like putting on of that costume by a lot of musicians. I don't know. I'm, I'm, and, and how, just how that relates to these, these notions of authenticity and performance. At risk of being performatively authentic. Um, <laughs> I'll, uh, so I was born and raised in Kansas and uh, in a family that was a, of grassers, right? Were people that really liked bluegrass music. I got to Arkansas about 12 years ago and there's still people in my own network that are like, by claiming Arkansas in any meaningful way, you're being actively extractive. And what I kind of want to tell them is, bring that up with the Waltons, please, uh, yeah. who are from <laughs> here but are not of here, right? Uh, um, bring that up with, uh, it's like when we talk about cultural appropriation, I think that it's important to bring up um, Led Zeppelin uh, before we bring up somebody that uh, that has that is carefully learning. A question about the... Uh, the garb or whatever. Actually, I think I appreciate you saying uh, without putting the phrase, don't want to put you on the spot, Willie, because all I have is a personal relationship to this stuff, which is to say, I knew why I wanted to code switch. And it's because uh, I was code switching to portions of my family that my uh, middle class family didn't want to be affiliated with. The middle class is vacuous and made of plastic. Uh, which is not to say that um, like a sense of kind of rural agrarianness is any better, uh, but it did at least have sort of social gatherings like, say, church or barbecues that felt forbidden in a suburban environment. I was still not comfortable at a drag show. I felt the most myself surrounded by people like singing and playing well within their context, right? And visiting their context and imagining, could I ever feel so at home? How can I cultivate that? If a vintage pearl snap comes with it, well, then all right. <laughs> We're at over an hour, so mm. um, let's wrap. No let's wrap up here. We're just getting going. <laughs> I know it just seems so warmed up, but you know, 
Um, thank you all for participating today. And maybe we can just go around with some final thoughts. Lizzie, you seem to be chomping at the bit for a second. That's just what my face looks like. But I will start. (laughs) I think the thing that I keep in mind when I think about this topic, and I think about it a lot, and it's forced on me a lot as a black northerner who plays folk music. I feel like I'm always having to figure out where I'm standing on authenticity in folk music. Each one of us is so many different things. The self is multifaceted, like in millions of ways. And the more we acknowledge that and give ourselves permission to share it, the more authentic we are, even though it might appear that we're being more performative. So I think there's a lot of pressure to be authentic in ways that make sense to other people. But you have to like really get to know yourself to figure out what is actually authentic for you. And it's not going to look like what someone else looks like, you know? So I actually really have been set free by the, the power of performance because I get to try out different selves that don't get to show up in everyday life. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to say it, it really doesn't matter to me um, as the audience if somebody is authentic or if they're playing as long as they're honest with themselves. I mean, I think that the world needs all the voices and um, as long as you are speaking from a place of your truth, I want to hear it. So (laughs) whether Mm -hmm. it's cloaked in blue eyeshadow and space, bought pleather or whether it is (laughs) in overalls and a trucker hat, like, I, I'm here for it. Go team. Willie Carlisle wearing overalls and a trucker hat <laughs> as we speak. Just thick suspenders. Oh, <laughs> oh. But 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 yeah, they they have the same effect. <laughs> Still got to pee naked. If you snapped them, would they would it show up on your? I believe so. Nice, <laughs> satisfying. Yeah, nice. Very satisfying. Small bit of BDSM for the ears. <laughs> That's the title of the next Willie Carlisle album, by the way. Uh, Will, Willie or Issa, you have any final thoughts you want to share? I think I want to encourage to the folk audience a broader understanding of what authenticity and, and performance can mean and that one isn't... They're not two opposing forces that are inherently negative or positive and that like every artist's particular cocktail of authenticity and performance is different and can change over time too. And that like some artifice is harmful. Some artifice is extractive. Um, as Willie was saying, I feel like we barely even scratched the surface of the topic of cultural appropriation, which is like, I think Mm. a really important element of this that we've maybe neglected a little bit. I wrote um, down Joni Mitchell blackface earlier, but I never I had mean, a chance to bring it up. My God, I'm we not only- ready to talk about it. I want to work in this town someday. <laughs> That's just a song I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> I like that song. song. It's a good song, Lizzie. <laughs> Very much a fan. Yeah. Um, ay, ay, ay. But yeah, I think there there is a difference, you know, there's a difference between 
artifice that is extractive or harmful and artifice that is in service of art. Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, I leave this conversation being kind of annoyed at Pete Seeger, um, but I learned a lot <laughs> and I appreciate all your perspectives. I can't wait to, to share this episode and also listen back and take in what everyone has had to say. So I, uh, Thank you, everybody, for for coming on Folk Debate Club, presented by Basic Folk and Folk Alley's Why We Write. Lizzie No is here from Basic Folk and her own solo career. Kim Rule is the host of Why We Write. Issa Burke, guitarist and our very best friend. And fiddler. Don't neglect my fiddle playing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Herself is multifaceted, Cindy. Multifaceted. Americana Association nominated Instrumentalist of the Year, Issa Burke, Willie Carlisle, No One Wears Suspenders Like You Do. Thank you, everybody, very much for coming on the show today. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by me, Cindy House. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there. Wherever you get podcasts, you can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk, or you can go to our website, basicfolk.com. All right, thanks for listening all the way to the end. You're the best and the brightest of your generation. You have scaled the mountaintop, and now you're up at the peak, here to reap your reward. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, everybody, a one, a two, a three. Bye. Bye.